Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Call is brought to you by CMC Markets, a world-leading online trading platform for CFDs and shares around the globe. Well, good afternoon. It's a Friday, and this is The Call. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests over the course of an hour on this Friday, the 14th of October. I'm Nadine Blaney. Well, we've got two great guests here for the entire hour, uh, both of them joining us remotely today, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Hi, guys. So good to have you there. Um, Let's just start with, you know, I know it's a well-worn path, but that head fake, you know, that came through on Wall Street through the overnight period with inflation ratcheting up in the U.S. to above 8%, 8.2%. I mean, it, th- has anything changed for you today, Luke, as uh, compared to yesterday? Uh, not really, Nadine. Not, not much changes for me on, on these sort of shorter-term macro news. But um, I, I will shout out Nathan. I listened to the call yesterday, and, and Nathan made a good call that um, we could well see exactly what played out of a, of a hotter-than-expected CPI in the market actually rallying. Um, he sort of credited that, that short covering could be the, the major factor for that. So... Fair play to Nathan. I think he he called it well because most people probably would have expected a, a very sharp, you know, down day for U.S. markets with, with that sort of CPI reading if it was known ahead of time. Um, look, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to sort of sit here and, and, and sort of try to go into too much detail about those sort of short-term moves. It, it could well be that sort of positioning of how people were going into, um, a, you know, a, a well-known macro event like that. It feels like we're, we're on the edge of our seat mm-hmm. in every CPI reading now for... Um, almost any any major Western economy. Um, so, look, it, I try to look past that a bit. We're coming into AGM season, which gives us some good fundamentals to fall back to. Um, the big thing for me is is waiting to see how many businesses are willing to step up and provide some, some guidance. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there, but we're now a couple of months into the financial year. They should have a better feel for how their businesses are tracking. So, Try to focus on that. Quarterlies for the small caps, but um, no, it was a it was a very interesting night last night, and that reaction in particular. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to a quarterly that was out today. Uh, I'll run you through what companies we'll be discussing with Luke and with Claude. Compumedics, Altium, Horizon Oil is coming up in this half hour. Sequoia, and Cadence Capital. But the stock of the day to your quarterly point, Luke, is Genex Power. So it has uh, released those quarterly results. The business generated a total of 48,125 megawatts of energy at its two projects. So that equates to total revenue of $7.2 million. This is an unaudited basis. So that is just, you know, the data coming from GenX today. I will say, Claude, the shares are relatively flat right now. Um, what do you make of GenX? GenX is one that I have always thought is interesting uh, because it's clearly trying to uh, be part of the renewable energy revolution. And I think it was back in May, you asked Luke and I both about uh, stocks that we thought might benefit from the change of government. And I picked GenX, mm-hmm. didn't own shares myself, by the way. It was just the thematic task you gave us. I thought it was a good fit. Look, for completely unrelated reasons, it's done well because there's been uh, talk of a, a they've had discussions with the consortium that wishes to take Gen X over at, at 25 cents per share. And I think that that consortium is partly driven by the fact that they think, you know, th- that this kind of technology is the future. And they're no doubt attracted by the fact that Gen X has really done the hard yards over the years to be one of those relatively few companies that has benefit- benefited from. Uh, the kind of government projects pro- projects that were designed to support renewable energy in this country, country basically through subsidized loans. And that's a pretty reasonable way 
to go ahead and try to get these projects up and running running and if you buy shares at the right price you do some long-range forecasts and you could definitely imagine this being a decent business um overall however uh the reason that i haven't dabbled in it myself despite the fact i love the thematics is basically because look you can see from its quarterly cash flow it had positive operating cash flow which is great uh good to see and does hint at the viability of their business in the future but at the moment they're very much in the expansion phase uh, property plan and equipment expenditure of 51.8 million now as i said before they've got at least i think 300 million of a uh, a loan concessional northern infrastructure fund i think it is loan to go plus a bunch of other sources of funding so i think that they'll continue to build out and i'm not saying they're running out of money but it's a very capital intensive business that's still in that investment phase so that makes it uh quite a lot riskier to invest in and uh, obviously, there can be cost blowouts. There can be all sorts of ups and downs during this process. So it's definitely, if it all works out, you know, there's definite potential upside there. And I, I don't think it's ridiculously priced right now, but far from it. But at the same time, it's definitely not the kind of business that I usually try to invest in, which is probably one that is doing uh, profitability and high return on invested capital and hopefully not that capital intensive. So therefore, not much capital required to grow. Although, you know, I have a varying range of companies in that regard. So overall, like the company itself, uh, like its mission, don't think it's overly priced, obviously, in any way, but also it's just not the kind of uh, easy business. It's a hard business. So I am a bit skeptical of it for that reason. So that is a no-go for you. Um, do you see it any different? More, more, probably, just, more okay. probably just a whole. Like I wouldn't, if I own shares in this, um, I wouldn't be feeling, oh no, things are going really badly right now. But I think that there are signs that it's a decent company for sure. and. And you have to be a bit sensitive to that price. I'd probably, if I did invest in it, I'd probably treat it more as a trading stock though. Got it, thank you. What do you think, Luke? I agree with a lot of that, Nadine. I think Claude's point to the potential takeover coming in after Gen X has done the hard yards, I think that's spot on. I mean, you look at that five-year share price that, that you flashed up before, um, it hasn't been a, a great ride for investors. And these guys have been trying to build some infrastructure assets, but. Of course, the beauty of those infrastructure assets is that once you're through that really heavy capex phase of, of the initial construction, they do usually spit off some pretty good free cash flow. And you're starting to see that, as Claude alluded to, some decent operating cash flow, which mainly comes from, the, from their solar project up in Queensland. Um, and then all that capex is trying to build a hydro project alongside it. So, you know, if you're a holder um, and the board initially rejected the consortium's approach, um, it does feel very opportunistic of, of someone trying to come in and, and sort of poach this company after they've done those hard yards. Um, you probably want to continue to hold Gen X if you've been there for a while because they do look to be not so much turning that corner into free cash, as Ford alluded to, that the CapEx is likely to continue for at least a couple of years until the hydro project comes online in late 2024. Um, but at least, you know, they're proving the viability of some of the stuff they're doing, made an acquisition. And, and, and obviously in that right space, you know, Ford sort of said a lot of their funding comes from, from government sources that are looking to fund projects like these. So I'd hold it as well. Um, you know, you've got the, the safety net, I guess, of, of you know people are sniffing around this business. Only one consortium's approached them so far, but you know, you just have to look at Sydney Airport, Atlas Arteria, you know, these sort of pension funds and, and, and large sticky money, they're looking for these sorts of infrastructure assets. And Gen X is still scaling up. They're not completely at that stage yet, but. It's certainly an asset that would interest a lot of these sort of parties. I think you've got that safety net there. If you've held it for a while, continue to hold. Uh, the debt's always kept me away as well. So that's why I couldn't say a buy. Um, a, a lot of debt there. I'd like to see them sort of manage that a bit more. But I understand why they have it, an infrastructure asset. So hold for me. Got it. Thanks, guys. So that's stock of the day, Gen X. Let's get on to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers. And the first one on the list is Compumedics. I don't know who this is for, however let's oh it's for grace there you go grace uh this is a sleep diagnostics brain and uh you know really blood flow monitoring uh applications and software that they that they produce and put out there what do you make of compumedics claude i think compumedics is an interesting little company definitely worth going on the small cap investors watch list uh, i'd argue that it's obviously worth going on the watch list just because it has been profitable for many years uh it has been profitable in like various little niches uh for these uh sleep monitoring device and other medical monitoring devices and uh it's it's margins aren't terrible not you know amazing either it's not sort of some 
top class quality company, but it, it's definitely got something there, some sort of defensible little niche, I think. So that at least puts you in a position where if you buy it at the right price, you could definitely uh, be quite happy with it long term. At the moment, I think it's on a little bit under 30 times earnings. And look, those earnings are bouncing back uh, from a tough couple of years. So um, if you re- looked really short term and just say, oh, it's grown its earnings from 2021 to 2022, that's uh, you could sort of start to maybe try and make a case. But I would actually say, no, we'll look back longer. And actually, this company has really just had its earnings bouncing around for quite a long time. You'd almost argue 10 years without a great deal of variation or, or sort of secular growth. Uh, which makes me just sort of generally think it probably doesn't deserve the kind of growth multiple that it currently has, even though it's a sort of decent little business, I'm sure will probably be around for a while. So um, it's possible there's some sort of hidden value there. It's definitely not one I would I'd take off the watch list and, and throw it in the bin. But at the moment, I don't see the um, the opportunity. So I guess I'd, pro- I'd probably call it, you know, a sell to a hold, but that seems a little harsh. But given that there are some other companies I would sell with much more enthusiasm than Compumetics. But overall, I just probably see it as a little bit overpriced right now. Okay, it's too XE. I'll write that down. Um, when it comes to Compumetics, in your view, Luke, I mean, is this a watch list company or again, what needs to go in its favor to get you interested enough to buy? Well, it's actually a buy for me, Nadine. And the reason why is I took it off my watch list and bought this stock pretty recently around these prices. Um, I actually agree with Claude's points. This is a business, I I own this business many years ago, like 2015, 2016, and historically it has sort of bumbled along, always been profitable, has some really cool niche products where they're, you know, world leaders actually in in some very small niches around sort of um, brain monitoring, particularly around blood flow to the brain, Um, but sort of couldn't crack those larger addressable markets to to really explode growth and and sort of throw into the much larger business that it, it maybe could be. Um, but, but to Claude's point, I think it's one if you can buy it at the right price and at the right time, you know, this is this is something that can be quite attractive. And for me, when I've looked at it lately, I think it, it matches both of, of those things. I think the multiple you're paying today, as Claude says, looks a bit expensive around that 30 times, but still very much COVID affected. Like a lot of healthcare companies, um, it's been difficult to, to sell into your end customers. Um, and also for the medical device companies that they've suffered from the, the chip shortages that have happened as well. So CompuMedics um, actually ha- have a decent backlog of, of orders where they sort of made some sales in, in, in 2020 and 2021. They haven't, haven't been able to, to, to export those to their customers. So um, a decent backlog, a benefit as well from a falling Aussie dollar. It is a, it's a truly global company and, and transacting USD. So um, I think the shorter term tailwinds are, are really positive for CompuMedics. Um, so I think you're paying a, you know, you're getting a good value for the core business today. There's some potential blue sky, but there's always been blue sky about this business. So I don't price in a great deal of the blue sky. They're trying to get into like consumer sleep monitoring, trying to move um, up the value chain in some other areas they play. Look, if they can execute on some of those things, fantastic. And that represents that growth that's sort of been promised but never executed on. But for me, I think you actually get some pretty good value just around the core business and it's post-COVID recovery and the, and the tailwinds of the, um, the Aussie dollar. So I like it, I bought it, um, so I'll call it a buy for the program. Well, if you bought it, it's a buy. Altium is next on the list. Claude, I was, um, I was on the Rich Life this week. Thank you. It's a, it's a great, it's, you know, it's a great site. Um, I will, rough, you know, put that out there. Um, I was just doing a bit of research on some um, companies that I was interviewing this week and I can't, I can't find it now, but you sort of gave a little bit of your history. Um, correct me if I'm wrong when it comes to Altium. Um, I, yeah. So Altium's the next on the list. Uh, let's get your view. Tell us, tell us, um, yeah, where you'd be willing to buy Altium if that opportunity ever came around. Yeah. Well, so Altium's a tough one for me. I first looked at it when it was like under three dollars yeah. or whatever and um just always i was always like oh no it's a bit too expensive like, there was a time when i actually thought it was sort of in the buy zone but it, you know the process of ticking all the boxes and and getting it um you know it moved out of that and then i was like constantly and i just shared this story because it's that it's a problem of anchoring i think i was constantly anchoring to you know the price when i almost was going to buy it and so i was constantly just putting my 
alerts or whatever under the under the price for Altium. But you know, uh, recently included Altium in one of my uh, lists of uh, the high quality stocks that I have target buy prices for. Just because when you have, you can see the share prices remain very strong, which is true of a number of high quality businesses that are trading on the ASX. They haven't yet sort of capitulated or yet really had those drawdowns we've seen in the lower quality stocks. So it's it's amazing to see a software company chart rock like that at the moment. Most of them are, are down a fair bit. But the, part of the reason it's still up is the same reason that I've got a, a buy price for it, which I sort of explain on the website. And it's still a fair bit actually below the current price but the reason um it's such a good company is basically or i think it's interesting to buy now is it's currently in the process of improving the quality of its business by trying to transition its business more from a one-off license sales to an ongoing subscription for Altium called Altium 365 except in china and you know they're expecting and i think as i've described many times before in this program Basically, when you're in the process of changing from license sales to software as a service style sales, you get a reduction in revenue in year one, but your revenue overall um, is going to get bigger. But it just, for a few years, it, it depresses your revenue. And look, even in this environment where their revenue is depressed because of that process, their EBIT um, and EBIT margins are continuing to go up, um, including in the, in the most recent half, which is strong evidence of uh, a, a long-term sustainable competitive advantage. They did have a down half in terms of their um, EBIT margins, which I will, uh, I'll, I'll tweet this graph actually after the show. But um, basically that was only in the December 2020 half. So that is a reminder to us that during an economic slowdown, Altium can still get hit. Two thirds of its sales are licensed sales. When you have a licensed sales model, it's not the ongoing use of your software that impacts your revenue. It's the you know, additional sales that you're getting. So Altium, which does software for, you know, pr designing printed circuit boards. So obviously very much part of all of our, our world now with the tailwind there with more electrification of everything. Uh, however, they are sensitive to the growth rate in the overall, um, you know, market for printed circuit board software, not um, just the ongoing use so much. So because of that, you can potentially expect and I'm not saying this will happen, but it's a, something that might happen and I want to be ready for it. You could expect a couple of tough halves um, if there's if we do head into a recession, which is induced by high interest rates, which is induced by the high CPI we we're talking about at the beginning of the show. So therefore, I'm looking at probably something a little bit around $25 is where I'm, I'm thinking all else being equal, it looks like good value to me. Of course, the facts may have changed by the time it's get there. So you'd have to review that mm -hmm. um, there. Okay. But that's where I'm thinking. So All for right. me now, it's still a hole. Got it. $25. Luke, would you be willing to pay up today for Altium? Uh, probably wouldn't pay up today if I'm someone on the sidelines, but I agree with Claude. You hold it if you're there. It's a it's a high quality business. I thought the, the latest round of reporting season, they were one of the top reports that, that I saw on the market. Um, but, but Claude touched on a, a lot of good um, points about Altium that, that um, I, I agree with. I think it's Probably a little bit more cyclical than what, what people think, despite you know a longer term trend, I think well and truly in their favor, there's that shorter term cyclicality. Um, and they've actually been the benefit of some shorter term cyclicality around the, the chip shortage, uh, particularly their, their Octopart segment that they own, um, which operates as a bit of a marketplace um, almost for, for chip. Um, saw a mm. big boom, um, you know, in that sort of um, that, that that space. So, you know, the potential of that may be unwinding, as Ford says, some cyclicality around new licenses. Um, Trading on 80 times earnings, I think to Claude's point, at, at that sort of valuation, it doesn't take much of a slip up to, to see a share price, you know, quickly pull back, as you've seen with, with some of other some of these other high flyers that have sort of missed just a, a little bit. Um, but, you know, full credit to management, that's a, that's a maybe, that could happen. The execution over the last 10 odd years has, has been fantastic. And similar to Claude, if, if anyone who's been a small cap ASX investor for the last decade or so, you know, we all regret missing Altium. Um, you know, the, the stock's been there the whole time. Fantastic performer. At times, hasn't even been too expensive. Um, so, look, I would hold it today if you're there. But, but be aware, as Port outlined, be aware of some of those factors. They're, they're genuine um, and in the shorter term would, would definitely hit the company. Got it. Thank you. Let's get to Horizon Oil. I'll start with you on this one, Luke. So, what do you think? Yeah, look, not one I've ever looked at. It's in that sort of energy space, not my forte, but... 
Um, I, I found it interesting. I mean, 200 mil market cap um, did 24 mil USD net profit last year. So, you know, cheap on any sort of profit metric. Um, of course, heavily tied to an oil price, which was, was spiked up from uh, a week period during COVID. Um, the, the main thing I did see was the the wells they have producing have very short lives, like maybe only three or four years. So it looks like you're in a capital return phase for those producing wells they have. They are doing some exploration on the side. You know, on a brief look, I couldn't see too much about that. So there could be some potential there, some blue sky there for, for holders. But I suspect most people who own Horizon are there for the dividends and the capital returns. And, and you're getting that. So, you know, the chart there, Nadine, that, that fall from 16 cents to 13 cents, that's a three cent capital return that was paid to shareholders only recently, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a, a, another three cent paid earlier in the year. So shareholders, you know, you're getting cash back in your pocket right now from something like Horizon Oil. Um, I would certainly prefer that to anyone who's, you know, in an exploration phase or, or, or consuming cash in this environment. Um, but look, it's not my sort of stock, but I can see why people own it. Definitely hold it if you're there, but just understand where you are. You're in that capital return phase um, and, and likely to be for the next few years. Anything that you agree, disagree with there, Claude? Uh, look, I think I agree pretty much completely with that. I would add a, just a couple of things there. Look, I think personally, if you did want to pay play the, the resource or the oil and gas kind of boom, a uh, dividend-paying cash flow generative company like Horizon is actually the good is a good kind of place to look. I think that that gives you pretty good exposure to some of the macroeconomic forces right now, which are pushing up the price of oil. But I just wanted to add, I would think of it again more as a trading stock because as we have the current economic settings, including especially uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, we probably have uh, maybe artificially high oil price for a while. And if you had a situation, for example, where you have a proper economic slowdown, maybe even more than you know what the central banks kind of intended, plus also uh, for whatever reason, uh, some of the probably temporary uh, distribution um, constraints arising from the war with Russia and Ukraine, uh, then if they sort of resolved around the same time, you could have oil price come down pretty quickly. So uh, just obviously, I would just think of more as a trading stock and and keep an idea of uh, what's happening in the uh, macro environment there. Got it. Thank you, guys. Sequoia, Sequoia Financial. I'm sure I've spoken with you both about this one in the past. Uh, This one is for for Sam, I think. Yep, Sam. Uh, has your thinking changed at all or evolved at all when it comes to Sequoia, Luke? Um, not a great deal. I mean, the business, um, you know, it's a it's a cheap provider. When I say cheap, I mean the stock is cheap, sorry, um, of sort of financial services and, and, and a lot of ancillary services around that financial planning space. Um, business trades on about 10 times net profit after tax and after, uh, but before amortization, which I'm happy to grant them that metric because most of their amortization comes from the acquisitions they've made. It's been an acquisitory business in the past. Um, but they also generate good cash flow behind that, which is why I'm you know, very happy to grant them that sort of metric because you know, the cash flow uh, matches the, the, the NPAD A that they report. Um, I think the one sort of negative, I suppose, about the business was they did reduce some longer term aspirational targets they had at the last result. Um, sort of FY25 target. But when I listened to management on a call and, and the reasoning behind that, I actually thought there was a lot of logic and, and um, you know, some good capital allocation skills. So basically what management says was, you know, to reach that aspirational target, they were going to continue to be acquisitive and, and bolt on more of these acquisitions around that core um, offering they have. But given where the share price was and given current markets, um, you know, they were uncertain about being able to make those acquisitions and so wound the target back. You know, in lieu of doing that, they now got a share buyback. It hasn't been too aggressive so far, but it, you know, they have been a little bit active in the market. You know, so as shareholders, you're still getting some accretion at that per share level with, with the buyback as well. So, look for me, I, I think it's one. I, look, I, I would actually say it's a buy. Um, in this environment, you know, when you're paying sort of ten times earnings, even better on cash flow. Um, I think you've got some industry tailwinds as well because that financial planning space is going through. Uh, a lot of changes right now from a, le- a regulatory point of view. And the services that players like Sequoia, Diverger, um, oh, there's another player as well that, that Claude may remember. Um, you know, these guys provide a very crucial service to these financial planners to help them through all these regulatory changes that are happening across the sector and then, and then sort of bolting on 
um, little bits and pieces alongside it. So, you know, I still think Sequoia's a buy um, at these levels, Nadine. Would you buy Sequoia at these levels, Luke? Or not Luke, think, sorry, Claude. 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 Uh, all good. Uh, yeah, so I actually do own Sequoia Group shares and I did buy them around these levels. So I guess that's a yes from me. Obviously, you don't want to go all in on any particular stock, so I'm not active buying it anymore. But I did happily pay around current prices and I am a happy holder now. So I guess it's a buy for me. Look, I agree with what Luke said, and I think he, he did cover it quite well. Uh, you know, essentially, Sequoia Financial Group has a few different segments, but they're all sort of attached to the equity market. So they have wealth management, professional services segment, equity markets, direct uh, segment as well, which they recently did an acquisition to kind of bolster. Now, I think overall a down market is is bad for Sequoia, although there are at least some parts of its business that are probably like Morrison Securities, which is a decent chunk of its business, that probably benefit from the increased trading that sometimes occurs with um, volatility, market volatility. So it's not a completely pro-cyclical business, although I do think it may have trouble growing earnings per share a, a lot in a, in a downturn. Having said that, it's not really priced for that much growth. And Luke talked about the important point where they actually said, well, actually now our growth targets are less because in order to have reached those, we had to do a bit of acquisitions, but our share price is low now. So we don't want to be issuing shares at this price. In fact, we're going to buy back shares with that extra cash that we're, we've got. And they've outlined a plan, which I really love to see. And I just, it really is a big part of the reason why I'm a shareholder where they said that their intention is to increase the payout ratio from 25% of, of, of its earnings gets paid out in dividend at the moment. And then that's going to go through 33, 40, 50%, and then to 60%. And then a long-term um, payout ratio of 70% uh, post-2026. So if you combine the fact that they're going to be buying back shares now, which I wish they'd do more aggressively, and increasing their payout ratio, that's going to be a more than a doubling of the payout ratio so, so right now, if you look at Sequoia Group, it's got a, a dividend yield of 2.6%. If it doesn't grow and just doubles that payout ratio, then if earnings go stay flat, because it's bought back shares, that'll increase its earnings per, pay, per share a little bit. Plus, its payout ratio will double. You'll be looking at a, a dividend. It's very reasonable to expect a dividend yield of like 6% in a few years from this stock. And there's definite possibility that it could be higher as well. So absolute music to my ears for... Uh, management to just go and outline such a, a shareholder-friendly long-term plan that tells shareholders exactly how they're going to share in the success of the business. It's quite rare. I gave management, um, even though, you know, then I was never being like, oh, this management's amazing or anything like that. I just think that's really good communication, really good capital allocation skills. Plus, combine that with a fairly low PE ratio of under 13, and to me, you have a a classic example of growth at a reasonable price. Um, and I am happy to hold. And I think it's a buy. Great. But just in moderation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Thank you, guys. Uh, look, before we get to a bit of a break, let's do the last on this, uh, this list, Cadence Capital. This one is for Nick. CDM is the ticker code. So Cadence is a listed entity that uh, basically invests in equity. So it's a fund manager um, in a nutshell. It's obviously got its own... Um, you know, its own investment style. Uh, I have a feeling neither of you would be investing in, uh, you know, a listed fund manager. Luke? Um, no, I wouldn't, Nadine. But, you know, I'll put myself in the shoes of, of someone else. So I hadn't looked at Cadence in a while. Um, and, and I found it quite interesting. I mean, there's a 20-ish percent discount to NTA. That's sort of something I look at these LICs. I you know, we'll, we'll come to another LIC later in the show where I think if you're paying close to the NTA, you know, it sort of defeats the purpose because you're in a you're in a worse structure in an LIC than, um, you know, a unit trust or something like that. Um, performance has been pretty solid over the last few years. Now, the one thing I would note, though, with Cadence is it's a very active fund. And, and they're, look, they're, they're open about this. Um, their mandate, they're, they're long, short, you know, Aussie global. They can do essentially anything. Um, October 21, they were 49% technology investments and 7% energy. And then in the short space of, you know, six odd months, by March 22, they were 42% energy and only 8% tech. So they've absolutely nailed that trade. Don't get me wrong. Like that that was the perfect trade to, to, to ditch your energy stocks in October 21 and pivot to, to um, energy stocks by March 22. 
So Cadence has, has killed it. But um, I guess the point I'm trying to make to people is that sort of active investor, you're relying on them, you know, to, to, to continually sort of nail those market movements. Whereas some other investors are much more, um, you know, glued to a certain style, be that, you know, large caps, small caps, domestic, global, equity only, fixed income only. And so investors are, are more investing alongside a strategy rather than a manager. So um, it's neither a negative or a positive, just sort of letting people know with Cadence, you know, performance can be um, a little bit over the place um, because they are able to be quite active. If that's, if that's something you're after, I think these guys are well worth a look. That performance has been solid, the discount's good, um, and absolutely nailed that that sort of trade earlier this year. So full credit to the team. So I'd hold it if you're there, and, and if you're not, I, I'd, give it a, I'd give it a close look if you're looking for that sort of vehicle. Got it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you. Claude, what do you think about Cadence Capital? I think Luke's given a, a great rundown of that, and I agree with it all. I would add that it has the advantage of being quite uncorrelated returns. So because they're active, you know, if you were just looking for a long-term buy and hold that probably wouldn't be like completely correlated with the market, then maybe you get that. Obviously, they do have drawdowns with the market, so I'm not saying it's uncorrelated, but, you know, they're obviously going to try and position. But what you're going to, your outperformance or otherwise will be more linked to, you know, whether they're, whether they nailed the most recent trade, which, you know, as Luke pointed out, they've, they've done well recently. There could be other times when their active strategy doesn't work for them as well. But at least that probably, you know, might be different from your own portfolio or your other funds. Personally, though, hard no on any ever investing in LIC because essentially uh, that requires that when you want to sell, somebody else is uh, wanting to buy. So you could buy it on a, you know, 10%, 15% or 5% discount to NTA. But if you happen to want to sell, you know, during a panic or whatever, you might have to pay a 20% disc. You might have to receive a 20% discount for NTA. And so it's actually the exact opposite of what I want in terms of, uh, yeah, look, this whole idea that it relies on the market sentiment of somebody else coming on, along to buy this particular instrument off me is just a it puts the unit holder at such a disadvantage relative to if they just invested in a regular fund. And it puts, it's really just a terrible structure for uh, the average investor. And it, it should be like, in my opinion, I don't even understand why it's allowed to exist. It's totally beneficial for the managers because it keeps their capital, the capital trapped in, for them, like unless they want to buy back shares. So you're handing the power to the fund manager massively more than you are if you just invest in a regular fund. Okay, got it. There you go. There's a little bit of a rundown on LICs as well. Guys, thank you for that. Have a bit of a break. I'll sum up what we've learned so far. So the stock of the day, it's a hold from both of my guests. Now, it is uh, potentially under takeover. Uh, look, Luke points to its debt as being a bit um, a bit of a problem for him. And look, Claude says it is a risky investment to make at this time. So it's a hold if you're in it. Compumetics, it's a buy for Luke. He recently bought some himself and he sees it as being pretty good value. It's too exy though for Claude. So interesting to get that dichotomy between them. But it is on his uh, watch list or it should be on a small cap investor watch list. So one to keep your eye on. Altium is a hold. It's a high quality company in Luke's view, but just not willing to buy it at these prices. At Luke, sorry, Claude has a buy signal at about $25 and really likes the fact that it's improving its business right now. Horizon Oil, it is a dividend and capital return play. Luke's got a hold on it. It's a trading stock in Claude's view. Um, when it comes to Sequoia, it's a buy for both of my guests. They had it as a buy, just going by memory, sort of back in August. Uh, they think that it looks cheap. It's got industry tailwinds in Luke's view. Uh, Claude bought at around these levels, so he would be happy to buy now. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's done well in terms of capital allocation. Um, when it comes to Cadence Capital, it's a hold for Luke. He said it uh, you know, did, did time this market well this year. Um, it's one for the watch list, but he just doesn't usually invest in these companies. It's a hard no, though, for Claude, and you just heard the reasons why, primarily because of its structure. So that is where we sit at the halfway mark. Here is a look at the High Conviction Fund, uh, picked by our investment committee. Uh, the portfolio update is as such. There we go. We've got uh, Ardent Leisure was removed, BAPCOR trimmed, uh, added eight Washington H Soul Pats, Insitech Pivot. We also saw Seek added. Oh, that's an interesting one. Ardent Leisure and Insitech Pivot. Let's um, 
Let's get to performance, and the fund is down half a percent on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st. So keep bringing uh, your suggestions to us. I see one has just come in for Shamima, so we'll get to that next week. Um, yeah, stay with us. We'll be back. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. So let's get to the next uh, few companies on the list. So XREF, XF1 is the ticker code, Classic Minerals, Viva Leisure, which was out with an update this week, Talga Group, and WAM Leaders. So XREF, uh, for my guests, Luke Winchester and Claude Walker, let's get right to it. Alex is uh, listening in. Alex, don't forget, this is just information only. It's not tailored to your personal circumstances. Uh, Luke, let's get you to weigh in on XREF. Yeah, um, look, it's one I own in Meriwether Capital, so disclose that. Um, I've actually got a blog post as well on the website, so encourage Alex, if he hasn't jumped on the website, you can read that, which goes into a bit more detail than probably what I can squeeze in here. But um, in that HR tech space, their, their core product is um, focused on reference checking as the um, you know the company external reference is where XREF, that name comes from. Um, so, you know, they, they automate the reference checking process to sort of eliminate phone calls and the time taken and, and just the, the, the manual labor of, of trying to do old school reference checking of, of new candidates coming into a business. Um, so you automate the whole process, you overlay some sort of fraud checking and um, ID checking on top. And, you know, they've, they've done quite well for themselves over the last few years, sort of grown revenue from um, effectively zero to about 20 mil last year um, over the space of maybe five or six years. Um, <clears throat> COVID impacted them a bit. And I think that's sort of what's weighing on the share price right now is the business is tied to hiring trends. The way they structure their businesses around the purchasing of credits. So customers will purchase a credit and then use a credit whenever they want to perform a reference check on a, on a new candidate. And so naturally by doing that, you tie yourselves to the, you know, the, the ebbs and flows of, the, of the, the hiring market in general. So after an initial um, you know, tough time when COVID first hit and a lot of businesses just bunkered down. Um, they saw that explode out the other side, the great resignation and some other, you know, terms that were bandied about. Um, extra benefit, benefited a lot from that. And I think now the market's a little bit jittery about, well, we're starting to see some of those metrics roll over. CEC had a report the other day saying job ads were down sort of 5%-ish month on month. A few signs to sort of say, you know, maybe some of the heat coming out of that tight labour market and someone like Xref um, may struggle. The business is trying to pivot to subscription, so I'll grant them that if they're able to do that, that would sort of smooth out those sorts of issues. Um, and also looking to, to, to expand that addressable market. So looking to go from just pre-employment reference check to some exit surveys and some ongoing employment um, sort of sentiment pulse check. Um, and I saw actually they, they won an AFR Innovation Award just last night, I believe, for the, the new exit survey product. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a positive and, and maybe a, a sign that that sort of product could get some traction in the market. Um, look, you know, I, I, I've bought stock around these levels a while ago. You know, the stock then did well and has come back. Um, I, I've tried to buy a little bit, uh, you know, at lower prices. I, I would probably um, hold it at this level, um, you know, wait and see what um, quarterly update may come in the next few weeks. Um, but for me, look, the business is just starting to embark on, on that international expansion. Um, U.S. revenue in particular is only about 4% of, of the group. Um, and there's a potential for that to, to really do well because they've got a really good blue chip base of customers in Australia. And I think the hope is that you can sort of expand within your customers overseas, you know, into their sort of global offices in the US and Europe. So I hold it, I like it. Um, and and I'll, yeah, for the program, I'd say probably hold the Dean, but um, if you're a small cap investor, I, I think put this one on your watch list for sure. Thank you, Claude. Um, you know, where do we look to XREF in terms of potentially an entry point? Well, I, I, the answer is I don't know, because for me, I actually agree with Luke's assessment of the business heading in the right direction. Obviously, it can be a little bit pro-cyclical, as he's mentioned, in the, in the sense that if there's a slowdown, it could hurt them. But uh, for me, I guess my my concern, my biggest, so like it looks kind of cheap, but at the same time, the fun, some of the fund managers, and I think, you know, 
Luke would probably agree with me on this, is some uh, in the car, people in the market have n- not um, got the best I- impression of the company. And so I feel like there is a little bit of a built-up uh, skepticism of XREF, given uh, some of the past wild gyrations, uh, some of the AFR articles um, about it. And basically, when I go and look at the facts, what I see is three executive directors who uh, own very few shares between them. So if you listen to the CEO talking about a presentation of the company, and he owns a lot of shares, I might add, you, it sounds very positive And it sounds like, you know, there are great things ahead for the company. However, the actual non-executive directors, you know, the chairman has zero shares. One of the directors has, um, who admittedly hasn't been there that long, but still has zero, zero shares. And uh, another one has just 32,100 shares, which is like, you know, at current prices, I think only around $10,000 or whatever. So, you know, more or less a retail shareholder watching this show who might own shares in XREF could probably own more shares in the company than the three non-executive directors combined, as I understand it. And I don't think the company is well served by having, a, a, you know, a board that hasn't been seeing opportunity um, in in the share price at around current prices. And I find it strange. Now, one potential answer is these directors all get a lot of options issued to them as well. So to me, that's probably another problem, like in the sense that they needed to offer lots of, you know, options. And then they, they say, you know, one might think the options provide alignment, right? And if they turn into shares, maybe they will. But the problem with getting given options is it gives you upside if the company succeeds, but you haven't lost anything if the company takes bad risks and, and goes down. And that's why when I invest in small cap stocks, I really much prefer to see a good alignment with various members of the board. I do like to see directors who are new to a company showing that they actually believe that the stock is attractive by buying some shares with their own money. And overall, I think that that, look, maybe we're going to see it. I've, I've asked the CEO about this, didn't, didn't get any um, clear, clear answers, but you know, maybe we're going to see a, a situation where the directors actually do find the share price attractive and want to put their hands in their pocket and buy shares. But until I see that, that's just a bit of a question mark for me over um, you know, why mm-hmm. I would want to weigh in and buy shares if, if the actual directors aren't that keen. Yeah, interesting. Okay, thanks, Claude. Let's get to Classic Minerals for Matt. It's next on the list, CLZ. I had to look it up. Uh, it wants to move from explorer to producer, as all mining explorers do. It's looking at gold. Uh, now, I know that this doesn't really fit into either of your uh, investment uh, thesis. So, you know, it's not how you invest, but uh, is there anything attractive about Classic Minerals, Claude? Uh, even within gold miners, I have to say this one looks quite unattractive to me. Uh, it's got a reasonably long time listed. It hasn't really achieved much. It's a, it's a high-risk gold explorer. You know, it's the kind of thing that tries to, um, you know, there's going to be excitement or we've got some good results or maybe there's going to be good results and that kind of thing. Like, I feel like, you know, that chart is almost... Obviously, there's some, been some gyrations that that chart's not picking up on, but it almost looks like the patient has died. And that's somewhat how I feel like um, this company is. I don't find it attractive at all. I find it in the super high-risk section of the market. It's, to me, um, good luck to people who buy it. They, they, they recently issued new shares at 1.6 cents per share, but ju- just a raise of 3.65 million. Uh, basically, I just think... Uh, you know, it's it's a bit of gambling and good luck to the gamblers. But to me, it's just too far out there and, and I wouldn't go... I, within gold miners, I think you can find better ones. Put it yeah, that way. okay. Luke? Um, I, I agree with that. I mean, the note I jotted down was lottery ticket, Nadine. So, Claude, I, I agree with that sentiment. It's it's for someone who, who really has that attitude towards the stock. Um, it's tiny. It's like 7 mil market cap. So a tiny, tiny business. Um, burning a lot of cash in that exploration phase, which is fine. That's sort of what they're supposed to do. Um, but, but I guess the point is, you know, if you buy the stock today, unless they hit an absolute monster resource, which could happen, that's the lottery ticket part of the of the investment, um, the dilution that you will get as an investor from a 7 mil market cap. Like as an example, they burnt 14 mil last year. So you would need you know, 200% dilution to the current market cap to fund one more year of exploration. So you need a, a big turnaround in either sentiment of this stock or the underlying performance, which is probably unlikely given where they are in that sort of stage. So not my style, and I agree with Claude. I, I actually think you know if you're looking for that sort of lottery ticket style, 
there's a few others you could look at that give you that that upside that a stock like this could but you know the, the downside is zero for this stock and i actually think you know that's probably a, a more likely outcome than anything else so it, it's probably a sell for me but i could you know only a hold if you understand just how speculative it is thank you let's get to viva leisure luke you were talking about uh, you know getting some clarity on earnings going forward well it issued a release earlier this week. So it's issued FY23 guidance. It's looking for substantial growth in revenue up to 54% and EBITDA to increase by 445%. Now, clearly there's some COVID impact in those big numbers there, but what do you think of Viva Leisure? Yeah, look, the note I jotted down was I, I thought it's admirable for a business like this to, to come out and put guidance in the market. And I hope, hope more businesses do, um, you know, particularly for a business like Viva Leisure, it's, um, well, potentially, and this is part of the question around the stock, is how discretionary is that sort of gym membership spend? Um, the, the company focuses on the fact that, you know, they have a, 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 some low-cost offerings and, and, you know, it's the sort of thing that um, that lipstick effect that some people talk about where it's a, a small cost but, but obviously provides much more value to the people who use it. Um, you know, whether that plays out, we'll wait and see. For, for reference, you know, GFC in America, the data I could find, um, you know, gym memberships nationally did go backwards in 2008, 2009. So, look, we'll wait and see. But that's, you know, to, to come out and give guidance in this sort of environment, I, I think is a, a, good, a, a good practice for the, for the business. Um, the one note I have, though, is they use EBITDA as their guidance. Um, and I just say, just be a bit careful around the use of EBITDA for a business like this for, for two reasons. I mean, it excludes interest tax depreciation and amortization. Um, you have a chunk of corporate debt with this business, so you know the interest bill is real for these guys. But the main one is, you know, these gyms. There's a lot of maintenance capex that's required to keep the gyms in operating condition. So, you know, yes, a lot of the money that they're spending is to roll out new gyms, acquire, um, and that's genuine growth investments. And I'm happy for them to sort of, you know, maybe exclude that from any sort of profit metrics they want to present to the market. Um, but there's a, a good chunk of this business is just business as usual upkeep and they've got to spend a few million dollars a year to, to keep the gyms on and running. So, um, you know, at an NPAT level, it's probably about 10 to 12 times earnings. So it's not crazy. Um, for me, it's, it's just that uncertainty around the operating environment. So obviously management don't see that uncertainty to come out and give guidance, credit to them. For me, I still think I'm a bit more uncertain about what happens um, to gym membership in a time where these interest rates will really start to hit, hit pockets as those fixed interest, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, those fixed loans start to roll off. So I'd hold it if you're there because it, it is cheap and obviously, you know, you, you know why you own the stock, but for someone on the sidelines, you know, I, I'd probably just put on the watch list for now. Got it. Claude, is it cheap and cheerful for you? Look, it looks it looks cheap if you just look at the EV to a bit uh, of, um, based on the top end of their guidance, you know, you might be like, oh, it's four times a bit, the EV a bit, uh, but that's not real profits to me. Look, I don't know what the real profits are going to be, but if they do, they do. They're, they're saying FY23 guidance for, um, you know, 30 million a bit there. But the I don't, and I'm not trying to say it's going to be the same next year. But the last two years, depreciation and amortization has been um, 38 and and 30 million dollars. So they're very big expenses for this kind of business, and you know, they're, they're gyms. And I just think that. I just think we're so saturated with gyms. I, maybe you guys feel differently. It probably depends on the geographic area that you're in, but it feels super, super saturated with gyms to me. None of my, I couldn't even tell you which gyms any of my friends attend because they just, they just, they're all interchangeable. Like hardly anyone is like, oh, this is the best gym. You got to come to this gym. It's just whatever's convenient on their day to day, where you know, on their run. So I look at them as gyms as fairly low moat. I don't think there's any like real brand value or anything there. So. Uh, yeah, just not a great quality business. Okay, it's not as hyped up as it used to be, so it's probably not as bad a buy as it was. But for me, it's it's just probably a. Look, I don't want to say. A, well, I'd say I'd add link to sell because it's just not the kind of business I want to hold long term. It could be momentarily undervalued now, though, just depending on what that macro forecast, you know, you know, and how how quickly, if at all, Australia goes into recession. Cool. All right. Got it. I cancelled my gym membership, just so you both know. So if I'm, you know, an army of one, there you go. Talga Group, yeah. TLG for Peter. Uh, first of all, just tell us what you know about the business, uh, Claude. Let's start with you and, yeah, go from there. Right. So, well, the, uh, probably the most recent, the, the biggest news with Talga recently is that they've just done an, in, an institutional pl placement for $22 million at $1.10 uh, per share. And so, of course, this is designed to 
I uh, developed their anode anode project for you know battery uh, materials and and that kind of thing. So it's very very much riding that. Um, first of all, like we're saying, it's just a still speculative company. It's still raising company. Uh, it's it's still uh, raising capital and and it's trying to play off this uh, long term tailwind tailwind of uh, battery metals and the need for more batteries essentially. So that's where we are. And so what we've got at the moment is a share price sitting just above the placement price and the and then then you know i guess the next step now everyone's hopeful okay you know we're, we're checking out i think it's graphite in sweden and that kind of thing that they're sorting out and, and we're just a really long way you know they're telling oh what we found in the hole and all that sort of thing so it's very much in that realm of the excitable excited uh new project exploration mining style company it's a little bit more than just mining because you know they've got this whole project to try and provide the right kind of substance for uh, batteries. So overall, I just say a little bit of caution with this one because, you know, it's already in the excitement phase. There's definitely a lot of excitement over this. It's not a well-established, profitable uh, company, and and it may need to raise capital again in the future, likely will, uh, realistically. Of course, they can do things with debt and equity and stuff like that, but right now for me, I think the best way to to really analyze a company that has you know no uh, revenue or profits to to judge it off, you can look at um, try and be an expert and value all the assets and and what it could be and, and use their feasibility studies and all that kind of thing. But that stuff always seems to like you know it always paints a better picture. So I would just approach this from a sentiment point of view, you know, because it is going to ride on sentiment. So what are your sentiments around this particular company? And what's your sentiment about the thematics that it's tapping into? This, now, what we do know is the sentiment currently around batteries is quite high. And I would argue that Palga has been a major beneficiary of that in, in the last year or so. So I think the sentiment's too high and it could always pump on because it, there's no, you can't tell when sentiment's going to change. But to me, even if this company is going to be successful long-term, there's a very high chance that you would be able to buy shares in it at a lower price in the future when something goes wrong or when there's a setback or when they miss some targets or something, and then sentiment is low. Thank you. Talga, Luke, would you invest in it? Uh, not, not me personally, Nadine, but um, look, it was probably a little bit more interesting than what I expected going into it. Claude's right, I mean. They're, they're well and truly riding that EV theme. And like I opened up their latest investor prezzo and the, the first slide was a, you know, electric vehicle charger going mm-hmm. into a car. And I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, you know, you see it on every lithium um, minor investor prezzo as well. Um, look, where I was a little bit more, I guess not, like I said, I, I probably wouldn't come and buy this business, but where I was like, okay, this is something a bit different to just your normal dig it up out of the ground and it's a battery metal. So let's hope everyone gets excited is they're looking to do some 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 value adds around you know taking the graphite that they're um, digging up in sweden um, and processing that into battery anodes now i don't know much about the tech this is where i sort of you know to, to even look at something like Calgar, i need to spend a lot more time looking into what they're doing there but that sort of value add is is, is much more interesting to me than just you know someone digging up lithium in south america or africa or wherever it may be and just trying to ride a wave of, of what right now is an elevated commodity price you know, being further up that value chain is, is where you want to be, and Talga's trying to do that. Um, you know, to, to expand on Claude's point about the business raising capital in the future, um, he, he said they might have to, they'll definitely have to. So, you know, they've said that it'll be about $1.5 billion worth of CapEx to get this thing off the ground. Um, the market cap today is only 300 odd million. So, you know, be it a combination of debt, equity, bringing in external um, sort of joint venture partners, probably all three of those things, to be honest. There's a, a lot more capital that has to come into this business to get them to where they want to be. So, look, I would hold it if you're there, as Claude said, probably be aware of the sentiment. Sentiment will definitely drive this stock in the short term. But if you're someone who does hold it or is interested in it, I'd really do your best to try and get your head around that technology that they're doing. They've got some some genuine partners looking at it, you know, some some large EV manufacturers and battery manufacturers in Japan and Korea. That's what sort of, you know, when, when I saw that, I, I sort of became a bit more interested in, in the stock. So uh, if you could understand that a bit better, then, then certainly this is one that you could maybe hold on a longer term view. But but shorter term, I think, towards spot on it, that that EV battery sentiment will sort of guide Palga, um, no doubt. Okay, thank you guys. And look, lucky last on the list is the WAM Leaders Fund. For Peter, 
W-L-E, are we sort of revisiting um, our thinking around Cadence Capital, Claude, or is the structure of this something that's more attractive to you? I know some of those comments, oh, look, also just on that last one, Luke, you're absolutely correct. It's not might. They're definitely going to have to raise capital. I, I really misspoke then. You, you're spot on. Look, and, and on to WAM leaders, uh, the, look, this is a, a reasonable fund um, for sure, what you've got to remember is, if I'm not mistaken, I think this actually trades at above NTA. And, um, you know, look, arguably that's pricing in future outperformance. So, yeah, look, just the stats, the numbers, they tell me uh, probably it's not a good bet. But, you know, if I'm not wrong, the the Wilson Asset Management uh, funds have, or the, the LICs have generally... So, had some of the best track record in terms of tr trading at or above or around NTA. So um, I, I haven't back-tested that theory, but it's just something I've noticed. And so, look, I personally would uh, say probably no. I'd probably just buy a low-cost a low cost index fund because of that structure thing that I said before. But having said that, I can see, you know, the attraction to this kind of fund is that it, it, it's sort of very blue-chip in nature. So... I don't think that I think the guys doing the, the fund managing are very talented, and if you base it on the NTA of, of all the Wilson Asset Management, you know, track records, they're they're, they're pretty good. But you just got to remember you, the actual price of these units can move around that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so is that a hold if you're in it? Is it a sell? I'd say definitely a hold. I think that most people that hold this are probably just long-term mm -hmm. holders, and there's no reason to interrupt what's going on there. Uh, but it's not something that I'd like actively call out that I'd want to buy. No. Uh, Luke, what's your thought on WAM leaders? Yeah, look, I agree with most of that. I mean, you know, trading at or above NTA to me doesn't make much sense for for an LIC, as as Claude sort of outlined when we were talking about cadence before. They're not great vehicles for retail holders, particularly in those times of panic. So, to, there should be a discount baked into an LIC to sort of account for that. Um, so, so paying more than that doesn't make much sense. When I look at WAM leaders, the other thing as well, go back to Cadence Capital. We were saying before. Those guys were very active, had a, a very open mandate about long, short, um, you know, domestic, global, sector agnostic. WAM leaders, if you look at their top holdings, it's almost just the ASX 20. You could buy an ETF and probably replicate the, the underlying holdings in the fund. So you know exactly what you're getting. Would yeah. you pay the sticker price for that sort of vehicle? Not me. The one thing I would say, though, that Wilson does very, very well on top of marketing <laughs> is they they structure their funds to, to pay dividends quite well. So if you're someone who you're not so much focused on the capital, what's happening in the background, and you just want a steady vehicle that will give you a decent dividend yield, I think this is about 5.5%, you, know, you can continue to hold it. If you're someone who doesn't hold it, you know, look for a discount to an LIC. For something like this, if you want that Aussie large cap ASX exposure, probably go and look at a Vanguard ETF or something like that. An ASX 20 replicates essentially what Wham Leaders is trying to do. Okay, so that's a hold if you're in it. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you're in it, you know why you own it. Yeah. Like, you know, if I put myself in their shoes, I'm not going to sell Wham Leaders because, you know, Luke on Osby's told me to. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. You guys uh, know the limits of your of your own um, rhetoric. All right, guys, thank you. I'll just sum it up. So XREF, well, Luke holds it. So he says it's a hold. He wants to see them pivot to subscription though. And he's looking forward to the quarterly update. Uh, Claude questions why at least three directors have no skin in the game. And that's enough to put oh, him off of it. Very little. Or very little. One has none. I think he said the chair has none. Uh, Classic Minerals, that's a bit of a lottery ticket in Luke's words. So that is a sell. It is, again, gambling. So it would be a sell for Claude as well. Viva Leisure, it's a hold. But uh, Luke's a little bit uncertain about this economic outlook. You know, what do you, what do you cut back on if you need to as prices continue to rise? Perhaps the gym. Uh, it's a sell for Claude, he doesn't see it as a quality business. Uh, look, Talga, it's just, yeah, it's going to wax and wane along with the EV theme, but Luke's got a hold on it, and wham, you just heard the guys talking about it. If you're in it, you know what you're doing. They wouldn't be rushing out to buy it um, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so look, guys, thank you. Thank you to Claude Walker from A Rich Life and to Luke, um, to Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital, who you can also go to his website and take a look at some research that he's done as well. Uh, thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Thank Looking forward much. to that. See ya. Thanks, David. Coming up on Have the small weekend. caps. Yeah, you too. Uh, we've got Josh Barker. He's joining us. A hot 
from the 121 Mining Investment Conference. So he'll tell us if his thinking has changed, what he'll be looking to buy, hold, or sell. Stay with us. The call is brought to you by CMC. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.